Hello, and welcome to Dockside, the podcast that helps you save and enjoy the waters you love by sharing clean and safe boating practices. I'm your host, Sarah Kennedy. In this episode, we will talk with adventurer and environmentalist, Captain Liz Clark, who created a life she desired and left California on a surf adventure aboard her 40-foot sailboat, Swell. Today, we're going to learn about Liz's adventure, what compelled her to live and travel on her sailboat, and how she is making the world a better place by being a leader in environmentalism. She is the author of the book, Swell, A Sailing Surfer's Voyage of Awakening, and her adventure is also being turned into a television series. Um, It's such an honor to speak with you today. Welcome, Liz. Thank you, Sarah. Happy to be here with you. Thank you. And can you tell us where you grew up and where you call home today? Yes. Um, So I grew up in San Diego, a little bit in North County and a little bit um, in Point Loma area and learned to sail in that area. And today um, I live in French Polynesia. I ended up um, meeting my now husband here in Tahiti and yeah, call, call Tahiti home now. And I love how we can hear the birds of Tahiti in the background. You had quite the adventure. Can you share what prompted your interest in sailing and how you got into it? Yeah, so I um, grew up on sailboats. My family always, we took our, you know, vacations and weekends always out on the boat. My dad just loved it. My mom, it was okay for her, but um, it was definitely my dad's passion. And so we took a extended trip to Mexico uh, when I was nine years old. And it was really on that trip that I kind of started planting the seed in myself of, about a, you know, being the captain of my own ship and seeing the world that way. Uh, it just was, it opened my mind to all the different cultures and, and places and animals and things out there in the world um, that I could discover and doing it by sailboat was such a neat way to, to go. So that was kind of like the seed was planted. And then in my teens, I start, I learned how to surf and I really just fell head over heels in love with surfing and um, kind of saw how my uh, surfing passion and my dream of exploring the world could could come together in this big um, surf adventure. So uh, that's kind of how the two things collided, the surfing and the sailing and and then this big, big dream just, you know, um, somehow uh, lots of things lined up so that I was able to have my boat swell, which is um, given to me in part by a mentor from UC Santa Barbara where I studied. Um, and yeah, the, the rest was history. I sailed away and still haven't really come back I I come back from time to time to visit but yeah I'm still out here kind of living my adventure what a life um so you acquired the sailboat swell can you tell me about swell and what kind of sailboat it is and its history Mm -hmm. so uh swell is a cal 40 she was built in 1968 um and she is 
a fabulous sailing boat. She's fast. The hull is very flat and with the fin keel, um, she goes downwind really well. Um, she's an ideal size uh, for a couple of people. She's raced with six people, but um, for what I was doing, uh, you know, I could have a couple of friends or sailor by myself if I wanted to. And um, Swell actually was splashed in the Great Lakes. So <laughs> she had some freshwater adventures before she found her way to the West Coast um, up in the Seattle area. Uh, and then I think her, she had many owners before me and she was eventually brought down to Santa Barbara where I met her um, there in, in the harbor. And yeah, it was a boat that my mentor Barry had had in his sailing career and loved and he trusted it and knew that it would be, um, you know, it was a boat that wasn't too expensive for us to acquire, but it was also, he, he knew it was a safe um, open ocean boat that did the transpac uh, many, many times and would uh, carry me safely over the ocean. So um, that's kind of how that all came together. She must have some amazing stories. Yeah, um. she, she really does. I found out um, well into my trip because um, I changed the name to Swell before uh, we left. She was um, originally named Maria which I oh. thought was really beautiful. Yeah, it is beautiful. What, why did you name her Swell? Um, at the time, like she, her name had been changed. I could see in the papers that I, that were still left aboard that her name had been changed several times. And I kind of wanted to give her a new name for this big um, adventure we were taking together. And for me, Swell represented all these three of the main things that I was, um, you know, looking for in my voyage swell in terms of surfing of course um and then I think also in the meaning of 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 growing and and um becoming some you know changing and growing and and then also um swell and like content and happiness you know I was really looking for happiness as well so so yeah they encompassed all those three things and I liked the short conciseness of it and yeah it just seemed like a good fit it is a good fit and what compelled you to sail set sail on swell um it says in your book over 10 years and twenty thousand miles yeah so at the outset I really um didn't think I would be gone for <laughs> you know over a decade <laughs> I was imagining you know, two to three years and to go all the way around the world. Um, and luckily I had enough flexibility in my, you know, ideas about how it was. And then when, when I got out there realizing how, um, you know, how time consuming the, the boat maintenance is and how um, giving myself more time allowed me to actually do the things that I wanted to do in, in these places and get to know some of these places a little bit more. And because um, as much as I enjoy being out on the water and the sailing part of it, for me, there was so much richness in, you know, getting to a new 
and learning about the culture and surfing the waves and all of those aspects were really exciting to me. So um, I learned to, to slow down in that first year. I felt really more like rushed in on the schedule. And then I kind of realized like, hey, I'm doing this for, for myself too. You know, it's not about what other people, um, you know, who are reading my blog want of me. I've got to make sure that I'm fulfilling what, you know, feels good and right for me. So yeah, I, I decided to to take my time a little more and I um, kind of just took some detours that, uh, you know, were, were things that I really wanted to do or places that I really want to see that weren't on the original um, agenda. So yeah, I'm really lucky that I, um, and I was also able to kind of keep it all going financially you know, just barely sometimes, but um, originally I did envision myself, you know, having to make my savings last until the end and um, come back and work maybe sometimes. And I was able to, to secure certain sponsors and gain a little bit of money through writing and, um, and sharing my journey, which, you know, was able to keep me out there um, longer than I originally envisioned. That's awesome. And there's a lot of people out there that have big dreams, you know, and maybe they don't know how to make it work. How, how did you make this adventure work financially? How were you able to drop everything and go? I think for me, it was really like, there was no other option in my mind. I was gonna, I was gonna do this adventure, whether it was, you know, on a beat up old boat um, with very little resources or, you know, and so it was just so lucky that I, I did um, meet my mentor, Barry, who um, helped me prepare and get the boat ready in such a safe way. Um, for me, it was kind of really that tunnel vision of knowing exactly what I wanted and um, really not like giving myself any other alternative um, that I think made it so that you know even the days when I was out there and I had like a couple hundred bucks left in my bank account um you know even if it didn't like make sense to keep going financially like I I just wanted it so bad that I I made it work you know and I think that is really what you have to do because a lot of times you know your dream doesn't make sense financially it's, it's like something that you you have to the desire has to be bigger than the reason or or you know logic about it and um and so yeah I felt like it was part of what kind of like also helped me spiritually like gain like a faith in terms of just saying like, well, I don't know how I'm going to have money next month, but, uh, you know, I'm not ready to give up. And, and then, you know, something would happen where I'd, you know, be able to earn a little money. And, um, there was always these little miracles that would arrive last minute. And, um, and then eventually it got easier as I gained more recognition for what I was doing. And, um, and yeah, I was able to kind of create a whole lifestyle out of it. So That's I think funny. in today's world, it's really like easier to do that. I was like kind of at the beginning of that, the beginning of blogging, there was no social media really yet. 
Facebook kind of started while I was out on my adventure. And now I think, um, you know, it is a little bit more possible to kind of just like grab a good idea and, and go for it. But yeah, it has to, you, you got to be dedicated. That's awesome. Yeah. Dedication. Um, and I'm sure you have so many wonderful memories, but what stands out as your favorite memory from your adventure? That's such a hard question. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, I think one of my favorite memories is arriving to the Marquesas with my mom after 22 days at sea. Um, she, like I mentioned, was not the like big sailor between my parents and uh, my dad. I had decided that I was going to cross the Pacific by myself and neither of my parents thought that was such a good idea. So <laughs> my dad kind of talked my mom into it and, um, she came with me, you know, for that longest open water passage of my whole voyage. And, um, so it was a really wonderful, not always easy, but a very growth producing and, um, bonding experience for the both of us. And so, yeah, like seeing those mountains rise out of the sea after all that time and water and just, it was really an amazing moment for us. What an incredible experience for you and your mother. I'm sure she cherishes that time and experience with you more than you can ever imagine. What was the hardest thing about sailing alone? Yeah, so after um, that big passage with my mom, I did decide that I was ready to sail alone. And um, I think the hardest part was facing the fear of not knowing if I would be able to you know rise to all the challenges that I would meet and so I think every time I was you know preparing for a passage there was a lot of anxiety about you know what was going to happen out there excited birds in my <laughs> I like it um, <laughs> So yeah, I think the the hardest part, I mean, aside from just the exhaustion and um, you know the physical parts of having to you know crank in the sails in and out all through the night when the weather, weather conditions are changing and things like that, I think it was really like the having to overcome that fear of not uh, you know not having enough confidence in myself whether I would be able to succeed or make you know do what needed to be done out there um and that just you know that came little by little over time um just like anything you know that's that's awesome and you learn the most during hard times as well seems yeah <laughs> definitely and I think it's really it really showed me that there's there's always way more in your reserve than you think there is like when you just think you're tapped out or you think something's going to be way too hard um, when you really have to do it, like there's a good chance you'll be able to. And there are many listeners out there that maybe want to get into sailing, but don't know how, what are your recommendations you have that might help them get into sailing? I think some of the best ways to get into sailing is just put yourself closer to it. So, you know, get down on the docks and talk to people, um, go 
volunteer for you know the Wednesday races a lot of these marinas and yacht clubs have like Wednesday races where anyone can jump on a boat and and just get out there um I think uh what I did during my um preparation of swell for the voyage I volunteered um with a bunch of different people who work on boats because I think just having more knowledge about a boat is going to make you feel more confident and make you feel like it's not such this overwhelming unknown for you. So, um, you know, a lot of people that have been working on boats and have all this knowledge are actually really willing to share it if they see how um, enthusiastic you are and, and can help out. So, you know, that can be another good way to learn and and get closer to opportunities that might rise arise for crewing or things like that um so yeah i think those are probably some some of my best ways to to get get going you can also of course take a class there's a lot of great classes out there there's a lot of great classes specific to women as well so those are great tips thank you so can you tell us about something that you learned while sailing alone that you wish you knew before you started? Mm -hmm. Let's see. I think um, something that I learned that always served me really well was um, just listening to my intuition about things and, um, you know, not to rush. Um, to try to take your time and, and, and really prepare. Um, I think preparedness, both of, you know, myself and of the boat was something that always really served me. Um, if you try to cut corners, I, I feel like you, the ocean um, doesn't, the ocean always would find a way to tell me like, not a good idea, Liz. So um, yeah, I think making sure you, you take your time and, and don't rush too much is a really, really good way to, to approach things out there. That is great advice. The ocean is always the boss. And speaking of that, what are some important safety tips for not only women, but all boaters for getting out on the water? Yeah, I think that, you know, what I was just mentioning about like preparedness is really important. I think knowing your boat, um, you know, when we get a new boat, there's a lot of things to learn. And um, I think making sure we take, it's not always that fun, but um, take the time to, to get to know this, the systems on your, on your vessel. Cause if you're out there and something breaks, it won't be such a panic moment. Um, I think it's really important to uh check the weather and make sure you kind of know what you're getting out into. A lot of times our busy lives only allow us like this short window, but you know, maybe mother nature is going to tell you otherwise that that's not a good time. And it's really important to, to listen and be aware um, and not force things when they don't seem right. I think that's when I often got into trouble was when I forced something because somebody had a plane to catch or um, you know, there was, a certain thing I was needing to be somewhere for. And so, yeah, um, giving yourself the flexibility of time is probably a really good, um, you know, safe, safer way to boat. Uh, I think it's really important if you have crew to 
communicate well and um, make sure everyone's on the same page about where safety gear is, how it works, um, you know, like where do you store your life jackets? How do you, um, what are you gonna do in a man overboard situation? Like all those things um, can be talked about in a, in a casual, but you know, like um, focused way before you're leaving and you're out in a situation where it could be, you know, really dangerous if you haven't if you haven't laid those foundations with the people who are on your boat um how to call for help if you know someone's injured or um you know if the captain god forbid falls overboard or something like that people other than the captain need to be know how need to know how to to contact um land so not just a cell phone but like a vhf or a single sideband radio things like that um, I think also it's important to, to just know your limits in terms of, um, getting out there, uh, especially if you have crew, you know, and you're captaining a boat, like really maybe don't take such big risks if you're, if you have other people on your boat and especially inexperienced boaters, um, one hand on the boat at all times, you know, if you're gonna be <laughs> out in any sort of waters that are rolly and um, there's a million more, but I think those are some good basics. Those are great, thank you. And you have been like making the world a better place. Um, can you tell us about the nonprofit that you started? Yeah, so um, I think during my voyage, I became more and more, um, you know, closer and closer to nature and more and more observant of what was happening uh, to our planet, you know, and all the little similar ecological crises going on in every corner of the world. And um, I wanted to, I did a lot of activism through um, social media and sharing my observations and things like that. But I really wanted to um, kind of like take that the next step when I finished writing my book. Um, and so and that was like the first time I also had decided to kind of stop being a nomad for a while and plant myself in one community. And so um, it really kind of got started in the in the surf lineup. I was just go out there and, um, you know, talk to different people from the community um, about different concerns and it, it really kind of started out of that it was a, a bunch of surfers that you know saw where things needed to happen and get done and um, no one was doing it so we, we created a nonprofit called Atia Matairea which means stand up for your island in Tahitian and um, we basically you know we have a lot of different issues in our community. So we kind of have, um, uh, and, uh, and people with different specialties and um, interests. So uh, our main focus is environmental protection, animal welfare, and um, empowering youth to become the next protectors of the environment and the animals. So, um, so yeah, we have a lot of different, we created the nonprofit in 2019 and we have had a lot of different uh, projects going on since then. 
we created um, we created some zones, anchored zones around our island to make it easier for um, boaters to know where to anchor because there's a lot of live coral in in the lagoon around um, the islands in this area. So, uh, and there were some conflicts between fishermen and boaters because, you know, most of the time unknowingly people drop their anchor and, and sometimes would do damage to coral. So that was one of our first projects. Um, we're working on creating uh, new marine protected areas in our region right now, which is really exciting. And um, we have a big spay and neuter campaign that's underway at the moment. And so that's been another, one of our big focuses that isn't boating an ocean, but, um, but yeah, has also been a main part of improving our community. So it's been really fun and it's been a huge new challenge for me. So different than sailing solo. You know, I'm working in a community where I have to, um, you know, communicate, cooperate and understand how to work well with people, which, um, you know, is, is a fun new challenge for me. And it's going awesome. really well. Thank you for doing that for our, our world. <laughs> Um, what are some environmental impacts you see out on the water from sailing and some ways sailors can help alleviate those impacts? Um, yeah, I think the biggest ones, you don't always see them as much as, um, you know, no, for me, this, the impacts that I know that I had or that I, that, um, sailors and boaters can have, um, tend to be around discharge so um you know making sure if you're not emptying your holding tank um, in a place where you shouldn't be and that your um your gray water isn't you know you're using environmentally friendly soaps and um you're conscious of what uh cleaning products you're using making sure nothing's too toxic and those types of things you Sometimes you see pollution that's fallen off of boats. In California, more specifically, you might see that more up close when, when I go out for a day sail when I'm home with my family. Um, you know, you'll see something, bottle of soda that might have fallen off someone's boat and things like that. Um, also in marinas, you know, you where boats are more concentrated, you'll see... Um, you know, oil on the surface of the water from maybe, you know, a little spill when someone was fueling up or a leak or someone's bilge that pumped out automatically that didn't have um, proper oil absorbers in it, things like that. And uh, yeah, down here, one of the main things you see is, is um, anchoring in the coral, like I mentioned. Thank you for that information. Can you talk about boating best practices and how boaters can be respectful to each other while out traveling in the ocean? Yeah, I think in terms of best practices, it's like really uh, comes down to what, like the main best practices for life as well. Just like what do unto others as you would want done to you. And so, you know, just being courteous, um, in, in general and of course you know helping other boaters when you see somebody in in need um 
also I think like doing your homework and preparing is also a best practice because you know when you put yourself in danger your other sailors and other boaters may need to come and help you so um you know making sure you prepare yourself and and do your best to uh not do not go out there irresponsibly i guess um i think also giving other boaters space not only in just like passing each other in a in a crowded bay um but also anchoring you know you can um sometimes when you don't know a new anchorage or a new place you think that that other boater who's already there might know something more than you but um you know a lot of people go out on the water to get peace and um get away from the world and so i think um it's really important to and it's also important for safety to to leave enough of a distance between boats to um where you respect their privacy and um also you know don't uh have to have your neighbor waking up all night worrying that your anchor is going to drag and possibly collide with it with them so um yeah i think um those are some of the basics and then of course you know just like make sure you're managing your trash properly when you're um when you're out there when you're coming back those those sorts of things those are great tips um also, can you go over some clean and green boating safety practices that can help boaters save the beautiful waters they love and enjoy? Of course. So, um, yeah, when we were talking about what I see out there, uh, I think, um, so, you know, managing your bilge properly, uh, there's always a chance that some oil or fuel can get down in your bilge and so having oil absorbers um in your bilge is really important and then you know disposing of them when they're full um making sure that they're disposed of properly is super important um and then even when you're just like refueling and or changing your oil just doing your best to you know minimize leaking of those um, substances out into the environment. I know it's not like, it's difficult for, um, for it to be never and nothing, but if you can minimize what, um, gets in your bilge and what gets out in the water, it's really great. Um, I think, um, you know, minimizing the, the work like the sanding and topside work that you do in the water and when you do it you know make sure you have the correct protection around what you're doing um i think using eco-friendly soaps and um everything from your dish soap to you know soaps that you're using to wash your boat you really don't even need these fancy soaps like some vinegar and baking soda go such a long way and they're non-toxic and they're cheaper um so i tend to use just like a mix of vinegar and and water and baking soda and maybe some essential oils for you know something that you're going to use inside where you want things to smell good but there's a lot of like eco-friendly options and um they're really important when you're when you're out boating 
Um, another thing that I think we tend to forget is using um, eco-friendly sunscreen. So that would be like mineral sunscreens that don't have um, these chemical UV blockers that can contain really um, harsh toxic kind of chemicals, not only for your body, but for the ocean as well. So, you know, if you rinsing off um, on the deck after a sail, uh, those are all going straight into the ocean. So it's really important to be conscious of the sunscreen you're using um, and make sure that it, the ingredients in it aren't gonna harm the ocean. Um, what else? Oh, um, we did say, you know, being responsible with your, your, the discharge of your holding tank, you know, make sure your holding tank is on if you're in a place where, um, you know, people are swimming or inside a lagoon or near shore. I think it's really important to um, make sure you're not dumping uh, black water into the near shore environment. Um, what else? I think another thing that is important um, when you're thinking about provisioning, if you're going out for a long weekend or, um, you know, a big extended trip like I was doing, um, when you can choose items with less packaging or, um, you know, less plastic, it's really difficult to predict, especially when you're going on a long voyage, where you'll be able to find recycling stations or even trash management places. So making sure you're, you're choosing items that um, are going to make give you less trash in the end is really important. So avoiding making a lot of trash, I think, is uh, another good tip. These are, yeah. yeah. And of course, picking up trash when you see it. Yes. <laughs> see so a lot of balloons and things out there. Um, yeah, no balloons for your, for your kids. Uh, explain to them that they're just not good for the ocean. <laughs> Yeah, somehow those balloons always make it to the ocean. And I especially love that sunscreen tip. If it's reef safe, it's also safe for your skin. Now, from your point of view, how can not only the sailing community, but the boating community as a whole, be more welcoming to diverse groups and make the sport more inclusive? Yeah. Um, it's a tricky... It's It's not easy to get into sailing because it's so expensive so um and i know when i was getting started you know there were weren't really many opportunities that were directed towards women so i didn't you know see many people that looked like me doing what i was doing and that's um you know hard makes it harder makes you feel less um like it's less possible for you so I think it's really important that we support, um, you know, programs for youth that uh, get people who maybe wouldn't normally have those opportunities out on the water and um, making them feel like it's something that, that's accessible for them too. So I, I think definitely supporting those types of outdoor outreach uh, opportunities for young people will hopefully, you know, um, spark more and more diversity and who we see out on the water. Yeah, thank you. I I said this off camera, but you are such a inspiration to many little girls, including my daughter who's four and she looks up to you and it's nice to have women that 
on this planet that people can look up to little girls can be like, oh, that's a real life Moana (laughs) (laughs) embodying all of that. So um, thank you for that. And can we talk a little bit about your cat that sailed with you too? To to tell you about Tropicat, about the cat that I sailed with? Yes. Okay. So I uh, sailed alone for many years and then at one point, you know, was going through a really hard time in my life and um, kind of just really needed companionship and met this little um, tricolor tabby cat and um, she just stole my heart. So I brought her along with me. Originally, I was thinking that I would find a better home for her. She was a stray and um, I was just thinking, you know, being on the boat wouldn't be a life, good life for her. And, you know, I, the more I looked around, I just didn't find very many good options and just fell in love with her more and more. And she just had this really bold, courageous personality and um, was curious enough about sailing and being out there on the water. Uh, She wasn't totally scared and intimidated by it. And so she just became my total adventure companion. And um, we just, we had so many amazing adventures together. Um, She adapted to so many different situations. Eventually I realized she needed to be able to go to land sometimes. And so, you know, she'd ride in the dinghy with me and, or, you know, on the back of a motorbike or whoever we were hitchhiking with, you know, she would, we would take a lot of just crazy adventures together. And she loved being the star of the show and just winning people's hearts. It was just so fun everywhere we went. She, um, she won people's, people's love. And um, yeah, unfortunately she uh, was attacked by a dog one day um, and didn't survive the, the attack. Uh, after about five years of of adventures together and that's her passing is really what sparked me wanting to do animal welfare work that's how I got into to that so um so yeah it was a beautiful beautiful five years we we shared and has turned into a whole new chapter of my life um in terms of helping other animals since then what a wonderful companion and story. Um, thank yeah. you. You are such an incredible person. And I feel so honored that you came to speak with us today. Do you have any final thoughts or anything you wanted to add or tell our listeners? Um, I think, I mean, I think boating is such a wonderful, special place. Um, you know, a lot of California residents. I grew up there. I still spend a lot of time there. I know how busy life can be and um, getting out of, on a boat is such a wonderful way to for us to um, kind of unwind and connect back to nature. And in this time where we are, um, you know, facing these big ecological crises, but also, you know, managing our own multifaceted lives and that are busy and, and um, going in every direction, you know, I think it's more and more important for us to take those times to to restore ourselves and remember um, to get out there and you know remember why um, 
why protecting our planet and why taking those extra moments to do the right thing for her um, are important. So yeah, I think I would just wanna encourage people to to get out there when they can and, and reconnect with nature and the why um, as frequently as possible. Dream big and follow your dreams. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Liz, for joining us today. Thank you to everyone out there listening. I hope you all learned and enjoyed the interview as much as I did. Don't forget to join us, Dockside, for future episodes. This podcast was brought to you by the California State Parks, the California Coastal Commission, and the San Francisco Estuary Partnership. It is partially funded by the Division of Boating and Waterways Clean Vessel Act Education Program and the Federal Clean Vessel Grant Act Program.